Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his grand circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. On today's podcast, I wanted to take some time and answer some of the questions you've been sending me over the last little while. Every so often, I like to kind of go back and answer some questions as they come in. I know people have questions about trip planning, the theme parks, whatever it is, and I'm happy to answer your questions and try and uh, try and get some information out there. I'm always happy to, uh, to answer them. Just keep those questions coming to davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Always happy to talk to, uh, to listeners and know someone's out there listening to this podcast. So... Uh, I also wanted to point out, uh, before I get to the questions, that I actually signed up for the Disney Plus streaming service. Now, I have to admit, I was a little skeptical. I wasn't sure what it was going to be like, how it was going to work, whatever. And um, I'm pretty satisfied with it. I'm very happy with the collection of things that they have in there, including the Disney library, uh, a lot of the uh, Star Wars things, and uh, the Marvel, and uh, some of the other stuff. There's some interesting things kind of buried in there that I think are kind of neat. I want to spend more time playing with it. I haven't spent a lot of time playing with it, but so far I'm very happy with what I see. The other thing is I uh, started watching the Mandalorian series. We're only two episodes in so far, but uh, so far I like what I see. Color me intrigued. It's an interesting storyline that kind of takes place after episode six um, and well before episode seven. So you kind of have that context of something that's happened to kind of get us along the way. And so the Mandalorian is kind of the central figure in this and it's taking place on places we've never been, but they're familiar characters. It's kind of clever the way they set things up. And uh, I'm really, really interested in the way this story is developing. I think Disney did do a nice job. While I was disappointed in episode uh, eight and the Han Solo story, I think this is a nice little uh, mix to kind of fix it back up and put some things right. And Disney can do some good Star Wars things. So kind of interested in that. Um, I also wanted to point out that I noticed that in the um, Star Wars movie, the uh, episode four, um, The New Hope, or A New Hope, they um, made a change to the scene where Han shot first. Again, you know, it was Han and Greedo sitting there, and there was a whole thing about George Lucas having made a change to it before he re-released it, so that uh, I guess Greedo shot first, and then they shot at the same time. And now there's a little trick in there where for some reason Greedo says, McClunky! just before the shooting. And it's really kind of strange and awkward, but pretty funny. And uh, I actually kind of like it. It's, it's clever. It's a nice little thing. Disney says that George Lucas had made that change previously before they purchased the, uh, the entirety of the, of the uh, universe there. So I guess it's a George Lucas change, but something kind of funny about that that just makes it kind of interesting. I guess the intrigue is still alive there. So let's move on to talking about questions uh, that you've sent in. The first one comes from Izzy. Uh, and he says, due to school constraints, our only choice for a 2020 Disney vacation is over the summer. I'm looking at, am I looking at pretty much equivalent crowds, heat, whatever, as I come in that time period? Or is there a time slot that's slightly more desirable? And 
The answer is <laughs> summers are brutal in Central Florida. They are very, very hot, very, very humid. So no matter what time you pick, it's going to be pretty bad. I would stay away from July 4th anyway, just because the crowds tend to be higher at July 4th. And uh, I, if I could, I would try to go in early June or earlier June, because that's going to be a little bit nicer than July and August. August is just unbearable in Central Florida. The humidity goes up and the heat goes up and it's just, it's awful. The other thing I would suggest is while you're there, take time to stop and relax and don't push yourself too hard because the heat is really, really bad. People that aren't used to it really have a hard time with it. I even have a hard time with it and I live in South Florida, so I'm around it all the time. The other thing I'd suggest to you is the heat in Florida tends to get worse around four o'clock in the afternoon during the summer. So you want to try and take a break somewhere around that time. You know, in that three to five time frame, if you can take a break and maybe go to the pool or something and relax for a little bit, it's going to be even better. And if the rains do come in the time you're there, that's around the time that they're going to come around three o'clock. So it's a good time to take a break, step away for a little while, let it cool down a little bit and then come back. Um, so that would be my suggestion. And as I said, early June is probably better. Uh, you know, try and manage your strategy a little bit, allow for some downtime, do some different things to kind of relax, take it in and don't push yourself really hard while you're there. Have some fast passes, have some plans of things you want to do, but also take some time to be indoors where you can, where it makes sense. Maybe have a little shopping time or have a little restaurant time where you're indoors. You know, if you're going to be in the Magic Kingdom and you don't want to have a uh, table service restaurant, go to Cosmic Rays, for example, where it's all indoors and you can just kind of sit down and relax for a little while, it will make a big difference in your day if you can just take that time to stop, relax, and cool off a little bit and bring your temperature down. There are also some heat management strategies you can try. Um, they, there's these, um, these cool towels and these cool um, cooling neck things they make that are made of like a gel, and all you have to do is put them in some cold water and they activate, and they're really, really good. Um, they're really helpful and they do help keep some of the, uh, some of the heat away and make you feel a little bit better. So I would investigate some of those, you know, kind of your mileage may vary a little bit on some of those things, but you may find that there's some better things you can do for heat management that will make you feel a little more comfortable. Of course, with the heat comes the need for more water. So you're going to, you're going to want to uh, have plenty of water on hand. Um, if you're into the electrolyte replacement, you want to have some, you know, some of that fluid to, to be able to take in as well. But you want to try and keep cool as much as you can and drink as much fluid as you can because you're going to feel a lot better. Just be aware that as you start to get overheated, it's time for a break. If you start to feel it, don't push yourself any harder. Um, you know, you'll have a much more enjoyable time if you kind of take your time and just relax and take it in a little bit more that way. So that would be my take on it. And speaking of um, hotels and staying at hotels, I wanted to... Um, Backtrack, someone else had asked me about whether Disney had uh, instituted parking fees at the resort hotels. And the answer is yes. They had put them in earlier this year, they rescinded them, then they put them back in. And it's somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, it varies based on the property you're staying at. If you're at a value resort, it's like $13 and it's like $17 if you're at a uh, moderate resort and like $20 if you're at the one of the uh, uh, deluxe resorts. So, you know, price-wise price range, that gives you an idea. Now, why Disney instituted a parking fee, I really don't know. I know a lot of hotels implement parking fees, and I understand that, and I get it, and I understand why Disney's getting on board with it. But it's sort of a weird mix of things that Disney's doing, because one of the perks of staying at a uh, Disney resort is that you get to park the theme park for free. So that was always a perk. And now you're saying that essentially it's not free anymore, it's a discounted rate. So you're charging, you know, let's say $13 at the value resorts, as opposed to $25 to park. Okay, it's a discount. 
but I'm already paying hundreds of dollars for, or thousands of dollars for a package to come and stay on the resort property. And now you're kind of nickel and diming me for $13 a day. You know, and if I'm staying for five days, it becomes expensive, right? It's suddenly like $70 more that I've spent. It's not a huge amount of money, but it's something more than maybe I anticipated. It's just kind of odd. And meanwhile, if you're an annual pass holder, you don't have to pay to park. So there's a, there's a trade-off there. And if you're just visiting one of the resorts for the day, you get a pass for a couple of hours, you can park and no one will question it. So it's just sort of this thing about overnight guests and charging them to park there. And my understanding is part of the reason for this is, you know, they want to increase the bottom line, of course, but part of the reason for it is um, there were some people, mostly I would say local-ish people who took a little more advantage of parking and not paying parking fees and so forth and were parking there and staying for long hours and whatever. Um, so they weren't actually paying for parking. So I get it. I, I understand it. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just, it is, I will say it's wrong. Um, but it's one of those things where it's like, that's the reason that you're going to implement it. Or that's one of the stated reasons that you're going to implement parking fees. That seems kind of odd. It's punishing people who are staying legitimately. And, you know, I think you'd be better off if you had a parking pass on there and you did something else to cars, you know, you, you basically tagged cars that, that didn't have that parking pass and whatever. I think there's a way to work around it that would be different. So I, I've said before that I think the value of a, um, especially a value resort, really isn't there anymore. Back, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, I could get a value resort as a Florida resident for about 50 bucks a night. Now the best price I can hope to pay is about 90, uh, give or take. You know, so it's, a, it's gone up in, in price quite a lot. These are not the most deluxe resorts. I can stay at a lot of uh, chain hotel type things that are nearby for less money. So I can often get a price that's under $100 for a very nice hotel that's uh, away from Disney, Disney property. And in that case, I'm getting more value out of the property itself. Sometimes they even include con a free breakfast. Sometimes it's continental, sometimes it's, it's not, but they include free breakfast. So for the price, now they're starting to charge resort fees, so I have to kind of manage that too. But Oftentimes parking is free and I can just go ahead and drive into the parks and as an annual pass holder I can save a couple of bucks by um, parking for free because of my annual pass. So, you know, when I think about the price of a uh, value resort at like 80 or $90 plus the $13 it's now over $100 a night to stay there. And I don't feel like I'm getting the greatest value from that $100 where I could stay somewhere else for less money. And uh, I'm going to have I'm going to wind up driving either way. I might take Disney transportation from, say, let's say I'm staying at the All-Star Resorts. I might take the bus transportation to get to the, one of the theme parks, or I might just choose to drive myself anyway. So what's the difference? I have no choice coming from South Florida. I have to drive to get up to Orlando. That's the only way I can get there. So, you know, for me, I know Disney wants to keep people on property. That's the whole goal there is to, you know, unstated, but, you know, completely obvious. They want people to stay there and spend their money there. Why do you, why do you want to go over to Universal or City Walk? Or why do you want to go to SeaWorld? Stay here and spend your money here and uh, stay on our property. So in that sense, they're always trying to keep people there. And in trying to keep people there, you say, okay, your car is here. You don't want to drive your car. You know, you're going to stay here. The ideal situation is somebody flies in, they take the Magical Express to the theme parks or to the resort, and then they spend their entire vacation there and then they take the Magical Express away. You know, that's, that's sort of the perfect world. So you've spent all your money and time at the Disney property. And I get it, but I just don't under, quite understand why the fee uh, for parking. Why not just go ahead and include parking, increase the price of the hotel again by another 10 bucks. Nobody will know the difference. And you just go ahead and do it that way and you still continue to do it. And you hand out passes to people as they're driving in and so forth so that you can control the traffic and, and what's going on. 
and I realize that they're trying to maintain their transportation uh, animal that they've created too. You know, you've got all these buses that are going different places and by getting people to take the buses and the gondolas and the monorails and whatever other uh, boat transportation they've got, you know, you're getting people to use that stuff as opposed to driving their cars. And, you know, okay, good for the environment. It's a good thing overall, but does it really matter in a way? Um, you know, could they find another way to do it rather than sort of, I think of it as sort of nickel and diming for $13 a night to stay at a value resort. It seems kind of funny. Just my take. I just wanted to share that because uh, someone else had asked me that question. I was just talking about resorts, so thought I'd mention it. Um, so here's a, a question. The next question comes from someone named Robert. My friends love roller coasters. Me, not so much. I'm not sure whether I can wait in, with them in line or if I should just wait at the exit. And how does one find the exit? Well, let's start with the second question first. How does one find the exit? If you're standing in front of any of the attractions and you kind of look and see where, you know, if you look around, you'll see where people are coming out. Sometimes it's kind of subtle and it's kind of around a corner slightly, but look around and you'll find where people are coming out. Look at the big attraction and kind of get it. If you don't see it, you can always ask a cast member, hey, where's the exit for this? And they'll point you to it. Uh, and you can wait by the exit. Now for me personally, since I don't ride roller coasters, I do like waiting with my friends in line. Unless they have a fast pass and they're gonna go right on and get right off, I'm always happy to get in line with them and just wait. So for me, I like the, you know, sometimes the theming is great, sometimes it's an interesting queue, sometimes it's just fun to hang out with my friends. And I will wait in the queue all the way till the end and when I get to the end, I'll tell the cast member, where's the chicken exit? And they'll go, oh, it's right over there and they'll take me to it and I'll, I'll exit the, um, uh, I'll exit the attraction and wait for them at the exit that I'm taken to because eventually my friends will come out and I'll meet them there. So there is always a way out. You can, they never force you to go on the ride just because you waited in line. You can always ask where the exit is. So I'll do that, you know, when I go with my kids because I don't ride roller coasters, but they do. Um, I'll do the same thing with them. I'll wait in line with them. And when we get to the end, I'll say, okay, have a nice ride. And I'll just wait at the exit. And it's always kind of fun because the exit is always interesting, especially when you go through it that you kind of go over the, uh, the the attraction itself and they take you out and you go to the, the spot where you're uh, hanging out and waiting for, for them. It's always kind of fun because you see people getting off the attraction and it's always kind of interesting to see their reactions to it. And you get to see it from a slightly different perspective than your friends did who were riding the attraction and got that perspective. For me, that was always kind of compelling and I enjoyed it. So just a personal thing, but there is always a way out. All you have to do is ask the cast member and they will show you how to get off the uh, out of the queue and uh, exit without riding the ride. The next question comes from Lizzie. I'm trying to decide if we want to pay for the dessert party, uh, there's four adults and three kids, on a Thursday in late January. We have just one park day and it's the Magic Kingdom. We reserve strollers. The hours of the park are, I found out are nine to eight. Part of me wants to make it easy and know we have a reserved spot. Uh, dessert is really an afterthought, um, and part of me says to uh, save the money and find a spot on the street. So my question is, how early would we have to be in place to find a spot with a view in front of the castle for four adults with the uh, strollers, and uh, what would we have to do? So I would say mid-January, mid to late January, crowds are always a little bit lower than they are at other times. Christmas time is crazy, you would never find a spot on Main Street, but a few weeks later, you will find a spot on Main Street if you want to, and you would find it with, within an hour of the time that the, uh, the, uh, the fireworks are. So if it's at eight o'clock, by seven o'clock, if you were out there, you'd find a spot. Now you're spending an hour just waiting around, hanging around. Now take advantage of that hour, have some fun, enjoy yourself a little bit, you know, maybe um, bring a trivia game, talk to cast members, do something to make it interesting. Have ice cream at that point, whatever you're gonna do, but make it interesting for yourself. I would say you may, be able, may even be able to push it a little bit later, given how, you know, what time of year it is, 
but you might not want to push it that long. Now, the other alternative is just not to stress about it at all. There are a lot of great viewing locations for the fireworks anywhere around the Magic Kingdom. Uh, so you could go over to Frontierland and have a pretty good view. You can go to Tomorrowland and have a pretty good view. Over by Space Mountain is a great place to watch the fireworks. Uh, you can be in Fantasyland. I've done that many times being over there. You can also um, exit the park and be outside the park. I've, uh, I always try to find new places to watch the fireworks. It's, you know, it's kind of a fun thing. You could be at one of the resorts, um, either at one of the viewing locations at the resorts, over on the beach at any of the resorts. Um, you could be uh, out in front of the Contemporary. I've seen them from there. One time I actually got lucky and it was just a happenstance thing. We were coming back on the monorail from Epcot and the monorail stopped at just the right angle and I could watch almost the entire fireworks show from the monorail. I'd never seen that before. That was kind of cool. Didn't get the audio, but it was still pretty neat. Um, I've been over at Fort Wilderness and watched the fireworks. Great place to watch them from there too. It's a little more, you know, you can take that relaxing moment and just decide, you know what, we're going to stop here and we're going to watch the fireworks. Anywhere in the Magic Kingdom, they're going to have the audio that goes along with the fireworks. So you can sit there and listen to the audio too. Um, if you're over at like Fort Wilderness or on the beach of the Polynesian, they actually play the audio there too. Um, you know, if you're standing in front of the Contemporary, you don't get the audio, but you do get the fireworks, you get to enjoy it. So it depends on what you want to see. Personally, I would say, since you're not really into it for the dessert party, I would say, you know what, don't worry about it. Don't, don't do the dessert party. Save your money and do something else with that money. And just go hang out and enjoy yourself. There are lots of great viewing locations. Remember that the fireworks are actually happening behind the Magic Kingdom, um, behind into the side a little bit. So it's not exactly like over the castle. It just happens to be perspective-wise over the castle when you're standing on Main Street. So that's why you can see it from so many different locations around. So I would encourage you to just find a new location and just kind of enjoy it and relax and take it in. If you can kind of, if you can see the sky near the castle, you can see the fireworks. Um, and they may be all around you depending on where you happen to stop. You just have to pay attention to it a little bit. If you watch a couple of videos online, you get a sense of where the fireworks go off from so you can find a viewing location that might work. You might even Google or in YouTube go through and uh, do a couple of searches for viewing locations for fireworks and see what other people suggest. Um, me personally, I like that view in Tomorrowland. You're over kind of in front of Space Mountain. You get a great view of the fireworks and the crowds are always kind of small. Uh, great opportunity to see some of it and uh, kind of enjoy it without having to feel like you're holding out, you know, sitting on a main street for, you know, an hour waiting for the fireworks to start. And it's kind of a less stress way to do it. You know, the kids are going to enjoy it either way. Any way you want to look at it, they're just going to enjoy being out there and taking in the fireworks and seeing the awe and spectacle of it all. So, you know, just kind of consider that when you think about it and don't stress about it so much. My take personally. Calvin writes, I was wondering if you have a link to a primer on the uh, Sorcerers of the Magic Kingdom game. I've encountered people playing it over the years, waving cards in front of otherwise nondescript landmarks, and I think my kids might enjoy it. I read a wiki about it, but it was more about the development and character backstory, backstories rather than how to play. I'm hoping the barrier to entry is low and we can have some fun doing things that don't require waiting in line. Thanks in advance. Okay, Calvin, you're in luck. Um, actually, I know I've seen a primer for it, but I can't remember where it is. If I can find the link, I'll put it in my show notes page. <clears throat> but let me just give you the, the quick overview. Basically, you're, you go into the, uh, it's the fire station on the end of Main Street where they, you, they recruit you to help with the Sorcerers of the Magic Kingdom. The backstory is that you're helping save the kingdom from villains and you're using these cards to help uh, cast spells to stop it. So there's a whole series of animations that they do in various locations around the park in nondescript locations, as you know. And you just basically, you, you're directed to one location and you start there and then from there you build on the storyline. And you see all these different animations and different things going on and you help defeat these villains. 
It's a very clever little game that they play. Me personally, I think it's not as immersive as it could be, but you might enjoy it. Um, so you, they get, when you go in and you sign up for it, they'll give you a map and they'll explain to you generally how it works and they'll give you the cards to get started. Now, of course, if you ask a lot of questions to the cast member that's there, tell them it's your first time, make a big deal of it, you know, make it personal so that they tell you the story, they get your kids engaged, they bring them in. If you start asking, you know, you say, oh, this is my kid's first time, they're really interested in doing this, how does it work? They will take the time to explain it to you and show you exactly how it works and tell you the whole story and make it compelling. You go from kiosk to kiosk, you stop at different places, you keep doing these things, you get more cards, you build on it, and you, you finally defeat all the villains and you take over the Magic Kingdom. It's very cute and clever that way, and if you get engaged in it, it can be really interesting and a lot of fun. So I would suggest just, you know, start off with maybe um, just go in and start asking the question. Go in, you know, sort of fresh. You know, go in and say, hey, this looks really cool. I want to try this. How does it work? And the cast members will definitely take the time to tell you about it and explain the whole story and the, you know, why you're doing it and how you're going to help. I remember the first time I did it, um, I walked in and I was just, you know, I gave the, the dumb look like, I don't know how this works. And the, the cast member was great. She stood there for like 10 minutes and explained it to me, even though I kind of knew. I just wanted to see what she had to say because I was interested in knowing how, this, how the thing worked. And because you know how it works already, you kind of have that that perspective and you can help your kids kind of go along through the whole thing and it will direct you to different places throughout the game it'll tell you where to go next based on little clues that it gives you so you kind of have to figure it out and it's kind of fun so i'd say you know just give it a try and uh, it's something different that you can do rather than always standing in line and have a little fun with it and it's kind of an intriguing uh different thing that you can take on of course you could always do some other things like looking for hidden mickeys or uh you know playing the uh disney uh what is it? The, the My Disney Experience uh, in-game, in uh, what is it? the Play Play Disney. Um, there's an app that's specifically for uh, for each of the uh, for specifically for Disney, but it works for each, in each of the theme parks. That takes you on little tours and gives you little trivia things and fun things that you can do. You might want to download that and play with it too. It's kind of fun. Also, one of my favorite things over in Epcot, if you happen to be over there, the um, Phineas and Ferb. Uh, the, uh, Agent P experience where you're going along and you're helping uh, Perry the platypus to defeat the evil Dr. Doofenshmirtz is really pretty fun. Um, you can do it on your phone. You just go to, uh, I think it's Agent P USA or, no, I'm sorry, Agent P WS for World Showcase USA. Oh no, Agent P W, uh, Agent P W S dot com, I think it is. Um, or Agent P W S Adventure or something like that. If you go to the Disney Parks um, app, You'll find it in there, um, but I think Disney Agent P W S U S A maybe uh, .com, and it'll take you there, and it'll uh, give you the, it'll take you through the whole experience, and you can go to the different uh, countries, and you play the game, and it's very interactive and a lot of fun, um, and characters come out of places that aren't expected sometimes. It's really, really a lot of fun. So if you're going to be over there, I would highly recommend doing that one. Um, so that would just be my take on it. And then finally, uh, another Dave, hey, another Dave, all right, awesome, asks, why is the T Eiffel Tower kind of weirdly distorted when I'm, when I'm on Soren? And I would say it's also the Eiffel Tower, it's also the, uh, the uh, Taj Mahal, and there's a couple of other tall buildings that kind of do the same thing. And the distortion has to do with the fact that the, um, that the screen itself is concave and it's actually like a bowl and you're looking at it so they when they shine the image on it it actually distorts the image slightly um, so think about a spoon you know if you take a spoon out of the drawer and you're looking at the 
inside of the spoon where there's the bowl on it and the outside of the spoon where it's where it's uh, uh, reflective in a certain way if you stand if you have if you hold it in front of somebody else and stand to the side you can see it distorts slightly because of the way that the uh, curvature goes so you can play around with that a little bit at home uh, the deeper the bowl the more uh, the deeper the bowl on the spoon itself the actual cup that's on the spoon that part of it uh, will distort even more depending on uh, how deep it is so it's the same principle you know the reflection of, of you in the actual spoon is similar to what you're seeing on the screen uh, there at the um, at, at Soren. So when you look at it, it's kind of interesting. So there's actually three uh, gondola sections. So each one is three rows deep, but there's also three parts to it. So there's one that's on the left side of the screen, one that's in the middle part of the screen, and one that's on the right side of the screen. The right side of the screen is usually the one that you will get to when they're loading it. If you have to go all the way down, you're gonna be on the left side of the screen. If you go part of the way down, you're gonna be in the middle. And if you go uh, close, you're gonna be on the right side. And the further over you are to the right or the left, the more distortion will happen on the screen. And it's kind of weird. It's very strange that Disney didn't like do anything about this. I think they intentionally didn't do anything about it because that's the way they designed this ride. Now in Disneyland, it's slightly different and you don't have the same level of distortion because the curvature is not the same on the screen. Now Disney, of course, could do math on this and actually do a computer trick to make it look less distorted. If you think about the way that they managed the light show on the castle, and the castle has many curves on it, and when you're looking at the castle, it actually looks like a flat screen. So they're doing some magic on it. I'll say the word magic, but it's a computer trick with mathematics to actually make it look flat. You could do the same thing uh, with the uh, with this this curvature curved screen and the Eiffel Tower and the other the other things that are in there to make it look right. You can do some digital manipulation to make it look right, regardless of where you're sitting in there. Now, whether it would look accurate, I don't know, but I know they can do it. It can be done. Whether they actually could do it or want to do it, I don't know. But I find it interesting because when you sit on the very far left or very far right, it's very weird. If you're sitting on the left, the Eiffel Tower bends definitely to the right. If you're sitting on the right, the Eiffel Tower bends definitely to the left. It almost looks like it's, you know, it's pointing. It almost looks like it falls over a little bit. It's like the Leaning Tower of Pisa in some way. Um, it's kind of weird looking if you happen to sit on the ends. So it's really strange the way they do it, and I'm surprised that they never really took the time to fix it and uh, think through what it was. It's just kind of an interesting thing that they never bothered to kind of look at and try to fix. Kind of weird, right? But it is kind of cool that it's there, and um, yeah, I think that they could do some things to it if they wanted to. They just chose not to for whatever reason. I hope someday they do fix it, and that it actually looks undistorted when, it's, when you see it on the screen. But you know why it happens. It's just a question of whether they can or will fix it at some point. It's very strange. So there you go. Those are my questions that I've been asked over the last little while. I wanted to take some time and just, you know, kind of answer them, spend a little time and talk about some interesting things related to Disney that maybe would be of interest to you or of general interest out there. I hope you, uh, hope you found something interesting among that. Um, and always feel free to send me more questions, davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Always happy to answer them. And I hope to get more podcasts out here soon. I have some more things queued up, just trying to find some time to actually get them done. Holidays coming up and lots of things going on in the personal space. So not sure how it's going to work out, but I'll do my best to get some more things out there for you. Always trying to get more out there. It's just a matter of timing. Um, so I hope that, uh, I hope that I was able to answer some of your questions. I hope that, uh, you find some answers to questions that you may have along the way anyway. And I hope you're able to plan your Disney vacations and enjoy yourself. There is one other thing I wanted to mention, and I almost forgot to mention this. And that's, um, I had a discussion with a friend of mine the other day about the Star Wars land, the uh, Galaxy's Edge. And I was commenting to him my initial thoughts that I thought it was a little weak. It wasn't so immersive. There were some things about it that I thought were kind of missing. 
And he said, yeah, I kind of felt that too. But remember, now they're going to open the second attraction because that opens in a couple of weeks here, uh, the Rise of the Resistance, and it's supposed to be really spectacular. There's also going to be the hotel that opens, and whether or not I can afford to stay there or not, looks like there'll be some interesting additions based on that hotel. And then you also have in the uh, Play Disney app, there's some new things that allow you to be interactive in there, and they just opened that up like a couple of weeks ago. So now you have the ability to uh, actually interact a little bit more in the park and be a little more immersive. So I look forward to going back and checking those things out to see if, that com if any of that stuff comes true. Um, you know, I liked his perspective and I'm like, okay, you know, maybe I was a little, you know, rushed to judgment kind of thing because I was there and I didn't feel it, but maybe some of these things will make it feel a little better. You know, you have to remember that this is, you know, kind of a growing thing. They opened it and they're going to continue to evolve it and think it through and do some new things to it. So we'll see. Um, I'm willing to give it another chance, you know, just like I have, you know, they restored my faith to a large degree through the Mandalorian. So perhaps there's a lot of opportunity here that I'm just missing out on at this point that may get better. So that would be my take. And I'm, I'm willing to give it another shot. And I hope uh, when you get there and you get to see it, that you see it too. And you see it as being something really positive and you really enjoy it. Anyway, that is my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View Podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there... Please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 